I thought I knew a fair bit about Curragh's, the lightweight West of Ireland fishing boat built on a thin frame of hazel and oak and clad in tarred canvas. Although originally it would have been clad in leather. I spent my youth in the 1970s watching locals in Bailningaol, a tiny harbour west of Dingle, setting out from the pier in the local West Kerry form of the Curragh, the Nevo, to fish for mackerel and pollock and to catch lobsters. I even made a documentary where a Curragh builder, Padraig O'Dinine, built a boat with an Inuit kayak builder in Greenland. To my surprise, both agreed that their vessels were remarkably similar. Both made with a lightweight frame of mostly beach-combed timber clad in waxed or tarred canvas, but which would originally have been clad in sealskin or cowhide. Yet my whole understanding of Curragh's was challenged recently when I learnt that in North Mayo, the traditional Curragh wasn't a slender canoe-like boat at all, but instead a Herculean vessel capable of carrying tons of cargo and with oars as long as some Curragh's were in their entirety. These behemoth boats were hard for me to even imagine. I presumed they had died out long ago and that I'd never get to see one. But when I learnt that a local carpenter in Beldere, County Mayo, had built one from plans he got from his grandfather, I chased up to North Mayo to find out more. You're listening to the Almanac of Ireland, a chorale flock of cultural ideas and idiosyncratic titbits curated by me, Misha, Untosal, Monachan, McGann. The carpenter I met on a windy pier in County Mayo is Declan Caulfield. He's the son of Seamus Caulfield, the man who uncovered Europe's largest Stone Age site, the Cader Fields, in North County Mayo. So I'm on the pier in Balderig. It's been recently washed. I find him and a kindly neighbour, Richard Barrett, grappling to lift the boat down from the roof of their red transit van. And all three of us carrying it, shufflingly, towards the slippery green slipway, made more treacherous by a recent shower of rain. You're not going to fall off the pier. (laughs) Like most West of Ireland piers now, it's abandoned, apart from a single trawler on a trailer and a few tired-looking crayfish pots. The curragh is heavier than any I've ever seen before. Am I carrying this? Yeah, let me... Declan is also the grandson of legendary local schoolteacher Patrick Caulfield, who first suspected, even before the Second World War, that beneath the bog surrounding his house was an entire Stone Age field system and farm structure. Let's try not to stand on the old fence. And Declan's uncle, Bidoundal Macanauna, a former director of Sligo Institute of Technology, has written books on the Curragh's of Ireland. This is a family with a deep understanding of old cultures and respect for traditions. Declan himself is a strong, solid figure. With a greying, reddish beard and the face lines of a life spent egbwint cart the nacht nanool, eking out an existence from the elemental land and the sea around him. So you're sitting here? He's a seasoned boatman who knows and respects the traditions of the old fishermen. I notice him taking a small bottle from the transit and attaching it under the gunwale. I'm mystified as to what it could be. 
You're tying it to the front? It's tied to the front, yeah. I don't like to pry, but you do just have to ask, don't you? It turns out it's a bottle of Ishkabana, holy water. Bottle of holy water always tied to the front. Nice. And then they'd always bless themselves with the seawater. Do you do that before they get into the boat or when they're no, in the boat? No, when we're in the boat before launching, okay. they always dip their hand over the side and bless themselves. Sliding the curragh into the water. The pier is so slippy from disuse that I'm glad of the weight of the boat to hold on to. Sachlum? Yeah, Sachlat. When I step into it, it has more of the solidity of wooden boats than the light, frail curraghs I'm used to from further south along the coastline. So you're sitting here? Not tonight. All right. There are five rows of benches in it and a thick double gunnel painted dark blue. The rest of the ribs are unpainted and the cladding material shows through as a dark grey form beneath. Banig to fain, says Declan. Bless yourself. And I do. I'm on the second bench, with Declan in the third and Richard in the rear. Originally, there would have been four men rowing, using narrow oars that are extremely long. 16 foot in total, with five foot blades. With a few long, slow strokes, Declan has us pulling swiftly away from the pier. Oh, that's skillful. And the reedy, sheep-shorn fields and heathery bogs of Belderig give way to a complex array of rocky inlets and jagged coastline as we head out towards the stags of Broadhaven. boat feels reassuringly sturdy. With none of the sense of a light canoe that I've had in the more lithe and narrow Neavogues of West Kerry. I wondered what exactly makes something a curragh. So the Curragh is really just its the, the, the ancient boat of, of all along the western seaboard. It's just a boat of, of thin wooden frame with, a, with a, originally a leather skin. The first recorded of the Curragh was Julius Caesar on his accounts and when he was raiding off the coast of Hibernia. As we know, the Romans never came here, but when he was battles up along the west coast and that, he noticed the natives of Hibernia in their skin-covered craft. And he used that to great effect then. I forget what war he was in, but they were trying to, uh, trying to cross a river. And uh, he decided to kill nine of his horses to cross the river. He used it to cover a, a skin-covered craft. And so, as you say, well, we have this written record from 2,000 years ago. And it's likely, like even before, like when we first arrived in this island, we were using some sort of vessel like this, a wood and a, a, a skin. They would have come probably from the west, west coast of France, northern Spain, whether it was rafts or skin-covered boats, but it's an ancient vessel, yes. But what makes this curragh different from other boats is the size. What was unique about it was that it was a five-man curragh. 
four men rowing and then a man out the back on the steer, which was the unique part about it. Um, one oar at each man, uh, sitting alternately. And the thing was, the oars were 16 foot long. Wait there, so this is almost everything that we don't think of when we think of a curragh. So you're saying one man to each oar because these oars are, are 16 foot? They're 16 foot. The curraghs up and down the coast were designed differently for the waters, the currents, the coastline. Um, there's a big North Atlantic swell here on the north coast. The 16-foot oars gave great stability. So I get it that the northwest seas may be even wilder than those further south. But still, why make the Belderig Curragh so much bigger than its counterparts along the rest of the coastline? It was predominantly for salmon fishing. There was an explosion of curragh on the west coast. That meant an explosion of work here. If you think back in the 50s, 40s here, before the diesel boat came, there was 10 curragh's thrown up on the rocks because there was no pier in Balderig at the time. And uh, that was 50 men employed. Now, I know my grandfather was the national school teacher. Each man in the boat could make half his annual salary in six weeks fishing. Come on. Half the annual income for it of a teacher. A teacher in the six weeks of fishing. So there was good money in these areas of remote Mayo in the, in the 40s and 50s. There was money. The fishermen had good money, yes. In the Balderic Five Man, the record catch was, I think, 154 salmon in one night. It's your well over a tonne. It's been rated for two tonne. Like, that's industrial. That's, that's more like you'd think of, a, you know, a yacht. Well, it is industrial. As I said, there were 50 men employed here, so that's an industry in itself. And not only that, it's also interesting to think of Ireland having these industries that had nothing to do with machines or modern technology. They were ancient and traditional, but still hugely productive. It was basically Iron Age technology. It's the lightest, frailest of material, but yet it creates a boat that can hold, as you say, two tonnes of material. Exactly. The thing that's unique um, about the Karach, it's built from the gunnels down, upside down. The gunnel, the rim, if you like, that the oars sit on, are built first, and then the rest follows. Every other boat is built from the keel up. And then you just put a, a canvas. Now, the canvas that was used was a rough grade of cotton calico um, was used, and that was, that was tarred, uh, and that was your waterproofing. On the modern, we use ballistic nylon as the canvas, which gives it strength. Looking around me at the vast swelling seas, the rocky coastline, brooding sky and treacherous cliffs. I'm struck by how precarious fishing was in this wild region long ago. Particularly on cloudy nights, when fishing was often practised. It was a daunting life, with risks and dangers in what was still a pretty flimsy boat of thin laths and cloth without engine or any safety gear. But strangely enough, the one thing that they were frightened of was the south wind. 
which would blow them out to sea as opposed to the north wind which would blow them in because a Karach would because it has no keel uh, any wind at all and you're fighting against it you won't you'll be just gone she'll skim across the water And that brings me on to something I read in the book, The Bell Derek Curragh and Its People by Declan's uncle, Braundan Mokkanauna, where he describes some of the rituals that fishermen used to perform before going to sea, such as blessing yourself before getting into a boat and always ensuring you have holy water tucked in under the bow. But he mentioned too that there were reasons why fishermen wouldn't learn to swim back then and that it was the custom not to try to rescue someone who fell overboard. But he says that was because people couldn't swim, fishermen couldn't swim, and that it was unlucky to save a man. Did you hear about that? I've heard that, that it wasn't lucky to save a man. Um, I suppose it might stem from that it's unlucky, because if you went in to save down a man, you might have been taken down yourself. There might be something in that. I don't know the full story, but... Yeah, they didn't want to swim. Uh, if you look out the bay there now, we're out there in the middle of the night and God forbid anything happened. doesn't matter whether you're an Olympic swimmer. Yeah, it's going to prolong the agony, so... No, it's, uh, it's just something they didn't do. Declan pointed out to me the sites on the shoreline where his father, the former professor of archaeology in UCD, had discovered remains dating back 7,000 years ago, of where early settlers would have fished off the rocks and hunted on land. And as Declan mentioned earlier, there's written evidence from Julius Caesar 2,000 years ago that our ancestors used Kurok-type boats like these. It's part of a timeless tradition in these waters. This particular design of Curragh provided food, security and independence for coastal communities here for well over a century. Until, in the course of the 20th century, they were superseded by diesel engine boats. And this boat that has been constructed over you know, a century or two to suit these conditions and to suit the fish and the salmon and the fishing in this area... Like, are they still being made? Was the, the, the lore of this, the knowledge kept alive, or did it, after the, whenever the, the diesel engine came in, did it, did it continue? Well, when the diesel engine came in, there was a big shift in, I suppose, you were reduced from five men to three men. One of the big things that the fisherman used to say was that it was the loneliness on the diesel boat. Because when you're in a curragh, you're working as a team, you can see how close we're sitting together here now. So you have five men out in the middle of the night. You're working as one. Whereas with the diesel boat, there was one man maybe tending to pots or nets, another man in the wheelhouse, and another man maybe the other end doing another job. And there was a separation there.
I love that idea that the old Beldadig Kurach, as well as everything else it could do, could also help strengthen the community. It brought people together to work as one. Today, we seek indestructible materials, intricate technology, and powerful but destructive and unreliable engines to protect us from the elemental world. Yet the Kurach was almost the opposite. Its strength lay in its fragility. It sought to be in harmony with nature rather than fight against it. I understand why we moved away from it. But like with so many aspects of our tradition and culture, undoubtedly it still has lessons for us today. Its resilience and sustainability, and the way it succeeds by working in harmony with its surroundings, is something we need to hold on to. These gentle, noble boats have kept our ancestors safe and nourished through the darkest times. We owe a lot to the likes of Declan Caulfield, who is ensuring the knowledge won't die on our watch. You've been listening to The Almanac of Ireland, presented by me, Monaghan McGann, and produced by Colette Kinsella. The series was funded in part by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland and it's a red hair media production for RT Radio 1. All music in the series is by Blue Dot Sessions.